Hey there, this is Bev, the host of People at Work brought to you by Jostle. And at Jostle, we are building an employee intranet that is helping connect people to everything that matters to them during their workday. And at the same time, it's important for us to understand what's actually happening in the world of work and how people are feeling during their workday. So uh, we host this podcast to have conversations with people all around the world with different thoughts and ideas about workplace topics like leadership, culture, employee experience, employee engagement, and everything in between. So I'm really delighted to welcome our guest today, Becky Morrison. Becky is a lawyer turned happiness coach and author of The Happiness Recipe. She spent the better part of a two decade career in big law and finance, managing people and untangling her own happiness. Today, we're going to talk about a few of the ingredients in the happiness recipe. Welcome, Becky. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm excited to be here, Bev. Thanks for having me. Yeah, fabulous. So happiness, that's a pretty big topic. If you've got the recipe for it, you're going to be in pretty good demand, I would imagine. But before we understand how you've formulated this recipe for how to be happy, um, would you like to tell our listeners just a little bit about your own background? So, I mean, it's, it's going to sound silly, but that's a question I struggle with. How do you encapsulate a 20-year career in something brief? But I'll, I'll tell you this. So, I mean, you said it. I'm, I started my career um, as a lawyer. I was a litigator for a handful of years. And uh, at about year four and a half, I found myself married and with a toddler and completely struggling with the fact that while I was a really good lawyer, splitting my focus between being a lawyer and a parent was overwhelming to me and not really a, a recipe for my happiness. And so really for the first time in my life at that point, beginning to tune into what is it that really matters to me? And I am absolutely a product of the shoulds. I got the good grades, went to the good college, got the degree, got the graduate degree, got the good grades, got the good job. I mean, I could go on, right? And it's just like, I did the thing you're supposed to do next that's supposed to bring you sort of success, which I think in our heads, we think success will mean happiness. But I find um, in my work now that a lot of people who've achieved a lot of things are still missing that satisfaction and happiness. So from that point, sort of navigated a career across staying in big law, but making a switch to the admin admin side, working in finance for a little bit, and now um, doing what I really love to do full time, which is helping people find both happiness and success. Something you said there is is quite interesting around this, you know, societal milestones or, or expectations that are set for us as we progress from even in our, you know, kindergarten years through to high school, to college, to our careers, um, that there's this sort of, well, if you meet these milestones, then you automatically achieve success and happiness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what I heard from you there is that it, through your own experience, you actually realized that that wasn't the case. And so how did that spur you into thinking about, well, or having the courage really to think about, well, I need to make some changes in order to improve how I feel about my life and the priorities in my life? I mean, it was sort of the perfect storm of things, right? I described sort of being in this moment where I have, you know, a young kid, I'm realizing I like mom, being a mom more than I expected. I want to be more present than I thought I would be. I'm 
not liking being a lawyer as much as I thought, but I'm spending a lot of time being a lawyer. At that point, I'm at a big law firm, relatively speaking on partnership track, probably three to four years from really serious partnership consideration. And I looked at the partners around me because the narrative was, oh, stay in, stay here, do this work. You landed yourself a good law firm job. You'll make partner and then you'll be happy because you'll have tons of money and whatever else comes with being partner. But I'm looking around at the partners around me and they're working just as much as I am. They're struggling with the same family dynamic issues that I am, and they don't look or act any happier than I'm feeling. And so it's like, well, what is this payoff? There is no payoff. It's time now to really start to think about what I need in order to be happy. And it was, it felt like a huge leap to say, you know what, even though I landed where I thought that I, you know, I got the brass ring, but what I really need to do is pick a job that's going to make being a mom more of a possibility because I knew that staying home wasn't an option for me for a variety of reasons not the least of which it wasn't a good fit for my personality for me what I you know what my soul wanted um but it's not like I you know took the leap and <laughs> wrote a book and became a coach right then I really took what felt like a very big leap at the time off of the partnership track and into a more admin role at a law firm um, and it did take a little bit of courage and a little bit of you know, being willing to have the conversations with people where they're like, wait a minute, why would you give that up? Well, for me, the answer was very simple. I gave it up because it was not in line with my priorities, which became very clear that I was a mom first, even though I had a job outside the home, when push came to shove, I wanted to be available to my family. So. Yeah, so there's two things in there that I'm curious about. So um, the first is this line of thinking that we, we fall into, I think, where we go, well, when I have this, then I'll be happy. Or if this happens, then I will be happy. Um, so is, is that um, part of your coaching around how to help people reframe how they think about the context and the definition of happiness for themselves? Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's sort of a lot in there, but, but when I work with people um, in a coaching context, the first thing that we do before we, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, I'm really unhappy in something. I'm going to change something. I'm going to switch jobs. I'm going to, something about my life needs to radically change. And the, before we even say anything's going to change, we look at where you are today, where your happiness is coming from today, how you can have happiness, a greater level of happiness in your current life without making any changes, because that provides the platform for making the next step in a way that will actually build more happiness as opposed to a next step that is an, is an attempt to escape your unhappiness. And so it is about two things, really understanding where you are today and then really understanding what it is that makes you happy. Where does your joy come from? What is it about, for example, making partner at a law firm that would bring you happiness? And there are some people, I mean, I, I had the good fortune in the, in the um, admin job that I had. I worked at the, one of the countries, one of the United States best litigation shops. And I worked with some lawyers who were genuinely happy being lawyers and being litigators. And so I've seen what it can look like when that achievement does bring you happiness. If you asked me sitting there as a fourth year associate, what is it about being partner that would make you happy? I would have said, oh, well, I'll finally have more control of my time and I'll have money. Well, that's not a very good reason to put in the work to get to that place. I can achieve those goals in other ways. 
yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that actually um, is a nice segue into the second piece that I wanted to ask you about from your earlier comments around. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm hearing is that this um, platform that we need to create and the sort of understanding of what our priorities are, it's a very individual <laughs> framework. Um, so tell us about how we discover as individuals what the components are for us to start building that platform. So, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and I was kind of chuckling when you, in the intro said, if you, if you have the recipe for happiness, you know, you're going to be in demand. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, right? Like the recipe is your recipe. And it's really, I mean, the book that I wrote and the work that I do is really about exactly what you just said, helping people unpack the components of their recipe. But I do have a framework, right? And so let me just explain that because I think it helps set the stage. So in to really simplify things, which is what I like to do, maximum happiness is doing more of what matters to you and less of the rest. So simple idea, hard to implement sometimes and hard to implement because what I've identified is there's sort of three stumbling blocks or gaps that we run into. The first I call the authenticity gap. And it's the idea that we aren't really clear on what matters most to us clear on um, what really drives our happiness or willing to claim that to the outside world. We know it, but we don't want to say it. We don't want to own it. We don't want to let anybody know that, oh, by the way, yes, I, I went into debt to go to law school, but I'd actually like to be a mom first, right? Saying that is the hard thing sometimes. Fast forward, I'm going to fast forward to the third gap because we are such an action-based society. Once we know what we want, we go right for achieving it. And so the third gap I call it's the physical energy gap. So we might know what it is that matters most to us, but are we really matching our time, our energy and our resources to that? Or are we getting bogged down into saying yes to a whole bunch of stuff that isn't in alignment with those things? Now there's a middle gap that I didn't talk about yet. And I think of that as the bridge. And I think of that also as the gap that often gets missed. It's the, it's the mindset gap. It's do we have the beliefs and feelings that support knowing claiming and then doing more of what matters to us. And so that's where we get into all kinds of work around guilt, around um, saying no, and just the, the, the willingness to say no, um, where, we, where I do a lot of work with people on their nervous system and some of the old patterns, because certainly we come with programming from our childhoods, from generations past of what success is supposed to look like. And how do you undo that programming? And how do you get not just your brain, but your entire body and your nervous system on board with living in a different way? So in terms of the framework, um, actually going from theory into practice, mm -hmm. that is always <laughs> what I find to be the, the difficult thing, right? So um, if we're thinking about individuals who are, and because I'd like to bring this into the context of the yes. workplace, um, let, let's talk about putting that framework into practice quickly for, you know, let's, let's create an imaginary person that would be um, working as a, you know, let's call them a, you know, a mid-range engineer, mm -hmm. and they are desperately unhappy in the current place they find themselves. What would they do with your framework to try and get them into a better place? So I will answer that question, but I also want to just say that the way I agree with you, the challenge is taking the framework into action. And so the book is really an action-based guide. And so it is every, every chapter is an exercise that walks you through the process of closing those gaps. So I'm obviously not going to be able to summarize the entire framework here in the next 
whatever many minutes we have, <laughs> but I will, I will get you started. And I think there's two simple things that I would start with, with said engineer would be number one. And I said this already a little bit, but let's take stock of what's in your life right now. Let's really take stock of what's not just on your schedule, but what's taking your energy, what's taking your money, what's taking your time. It's all three of those things. And then let's go through that list and look at which of those things are bringing you happiness or feel expansive, right? Sometimes people have a hard time looking at that and saying, well, I'm just so unhappy. Nothing's making me happy. Okay. But inevitably, if we really sat down and did a full inventory of everything that's in your life, there are some things that are making you feel expansive. Okay. So then we, we take that, put a pin in it for a minute. And then I do another exercise that I like to um, call sort of finding your essential sources of joy. What does that mean? Well, if you're really unhappy in all that's going on in your life, and particularly it comes up a lot when people are unhappy at work, it can be hard to reconnect with even a little bit of happiness. So put everything aside. If time were no object, if money were no object, what's fun for you? What makes you happy? Okay. And we'll think of something. And I'll give you an example here. Like inevitably, one of the things on the list is vacation. I like vacation. Okay, cool. Well, obviously going on a permanent vacation is not probably a realistic possibility. So then we dig a little deeper, probably like three or four times I will ask, well, what is it about vacation that makes you happy? Well, I like not having, you know, a bunch of stuff on my schedule. And I like connecting with my family. Well, what is it about that that makes you happy? And we can get all the way down to some really critical sort of what I would call like the essence of your happiness. And then we can pick a couple of those to start injecting into life today, just to start the momentum shift towards seeing more opportunities for happiness. Um, And I'll give you just a real concrete example of that. I was talking with someone and they said, well, same thing, I like vacation. And we got all the way down and it came down to what I actually really like is on vacation, we often go to this one place and it has a pool and I sit in the corner of the pool and I start every morning looking at nature and reflecting on my life. And that is my happiest moment of the entire year. So quiet reflection in nature is a really big source of happiness for you. Let's do that now. Let's start today. And again, to begin to shift how you're feeling about your life, because happiness isn't going to come just from a new job. It isn't going to come just from relieving the unhappy, right? It has to come from getting clear on where is your happiness coming from? Yeah, and I I think an extension of that um, for me, in in my experience, I I feel like it's, it's also this mindset around thinking that you have a choice to Mm, be one mm. way or another and even though you might not be in the most ideal circumstances in your job or in a relationship or wherever you find yourself in your life we all have a choice to choose our response to that moment or lack of response to that moment and I I think if I'm just listening to you build out your your framework um, there's some personal intentionality that has to start showing up in in that process so maybe talk a little bit about your thoughts on that well I think you've hit the nail on the head right it is really about starting to engage with what can you control and what can't you control and the other piece that came to me as you were saying that right is it's a little bit the notion of it is easier to build more of the happiness than it is to just subtract all of the unhappiness right? Allow the happiness to come in and fill up the space and push out the things that aren't working. 
Um, and, and I think about, you know, when you talk about like broader workplace context, right? Like if you've got a team that's working together and it's not working well, continuing to focus on what's not working just is like this spiral of negativity and blaming and it can go real bad real fast, even with a really powerful facilitator, right? But if we instead can try to think about what would it look like if it worked and how do we start building the blocks of that into what we're doing today, allowing that it's not all gonna be perfect right away. You're not going to solve the broken things overnight. And some of our unhappiness, I mean, I think, especially given where we've been sitting over the past 18 months is outside, so far outside of our control, right? Yeah, absolutely. If I, if I work my nine to five or more so that I can travel every year, this has been a hard year because the payoff isn't there. And that's where another example, like, okay, if that's your payoff, how, what is it about travel that is the payoff for you? And how can we look for those pieces of it, even without being able to cross borders and, you know? Yeah, I, I'm going to come back to, back to that, but I just wanted to dig into one quick thing where you, you talked about this not happening overnight and um you know it, it isn't like you're just waving a magic wand and then you decided to be happy so you are happy like it doesn't work like that so does goal setting and planning and sort of visioning what you want your future to look like factor into your model and your framework absolutely so that that's where i mean for me that's part of closing that physical energy gap and i have sort of a um, dysfunctional relationship with goals myself so i like to think about um, direction setting versus goal planning. Um, but the idea is the same. And if goals work for you, you can use that. But it is really about tuning in to what you want, what you want a better state to look like and feel like um, without worrying so much about the logistics of how you're going to get there initially right? It's like setting the, okay, yeah, I've decided I want to take a trip. I sit in Virginia. I want to take a trip to San Francisco. And so I'm not going to map out every mile, but I know that I want to generally go towards California. And so I'm going to point in that direction and I'm going to drive a little bit each day. And if I keep driving, even if I go a little off track or if I have to stop, I'm still eventually going to get to California, right? By holding that vision and holding that, like, what is it about California that I think is going to be amazing? And why do I want to go there? And what is it, you know? And I think the whole magic wand notion, frankly, is when people come saying, like, I have to quit my job right now and I need a new job because I'm so miserable. They're, that's, a, that's, that's their attempt at a magic wand. That suddenly I will land in this new job and everything will be better and I'll be happier. And while there are absolutely toxic environments that you need to make an exit from, and I am not disputing that, it really, the process really needs to start with building that foundation for yourself of where you're trying to go, as opposed to just grasping for the next, next better thing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I, I like about what you said earlier, too, about, you know, what does this look like for you, if it works? Like, what does the source of joy look like for you, if it is actually present? And then how do you take the steps to nurture that feeling mm -hmm. and find pr 
potentially find other ways that you can achieve the same feeling. Like you don't have to be sitting in the pool on vacation looking at nature. Like how do you find other sources of that feeling of, of joy, which I, I imagine is, is part of your position as, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because you start to, I mean, I'll give you the example of that person. When I said that to him, he was like, yeah, why don't I do that? You know, it's a, it is a choice I'm making. And I, you know, in the initial reaction, I think I, you know, he had, and people often have as well. I don't, I mean, I'm so overwhelmed and it's so whatever, and I don't have time. Well, recognize that is a choice. It is absolutely a choice. And we don't like to hear that, but that is, that is the reality, right? I mean, you can choose to wake up a little earlier. You can choose to say no to something. And we have far more control, I think, than we allow ourselves to have because we get in this script, particularly when we're otherwise struggling of, well, it's just, I'm, I'm disempowered. I don't have a choice. And so how can you step back into some of the power you actually do have? So speaking about choice and when I, for me, I immediately go to making the decision or, or having the choice to change something, to improve something in your, your life, whether it be in the work environment or in your, your personal life. Um, do you talk about happiness habit creation at all in your book? And, you know, how do we actually set these habits that help build us up, build us from that platform that you spoke about? Yeah, I mean, so I talk a little bit about habit creation in, in the closing the physical energy gap, but there's so much good work out there about building new habits. The biggest thing for me um, is not, well, there's two things I would, I would say. One is, and this is partially comes from, like I said, I have a dysfunctional relationship with goals. And I think in the past, I've tried to turn habits into tasks when they're really habits, right? And it's recognizing the difference between something that you want to do versus something that you want to become. And the habit is what you become, you know, the action or project or task is something that you do. And so making the distinction between the two, as you're thinking about building a happier right now and a happier forever is important because when you're building a habit, right? As you're walking, let's, and I'll, I use the, the example in my book of, of my own development of a meditation practice, right? I decided I was going to be a person who meditates. And that means if I miss two days of meditation, I'm still a person who meditates. I just pick it back up and go back to it versus a task that I failed to complete and therefore never try to take on again. You know, you can't abandon an identity if you really, truly choose to take it on. And so that's one piece of building that habit. The other piece to me that's been really powerful, again, not my own work, but from the great work that's out there on habits um, is just starting small, like truly, you know, not trying to, and, and especially for people who are used to being high achievers and doers, not trying to take it all on and become the 30 minute a day meditator day one right? Really taking it and letting it grow because you're doing it. You can't, the only time you're done with a habit is when you're dead. So there's no, <laughs> there's no pressure to fin finish it. Right. And we live in such a finish it world that that can be actually something that derails us from starting a new habit. Yeah. I, I totally feel you on the, the picking up and, and, dropping down the meditation practice yeah. it's an it's an ongoing struggle for me but I, I really like how you framed it there though because I do tend to 
beat myself up a bit. If I miss two or three days, then I'll, I'll, my inner voice will be, well, you're just not that committed to this. You, mm -hmm. you know, why can't you find the time? Like, why are you not focusing on this? Which is not, not helping me at, in the least because um, no. I don't find myself meditating the next day when I have that negative <laughs> self-talk. So why have it, right? Like why yeah. let yourself go down that path? It literally, it does, it does nothing to serve you. And with meditation, I mean, what I find is that it, it ebbs and flows as anything does. And so that's, and to allow, give yourself space to allow that ebb and flow and to not measure yourself by the natural cycles of life is a really powerful freedom space creation thing that you can do because meditation is a beneficial tool that we should want to employ if it if we feel it resonates with us, not something that we should be judging ourselves for not doing, right? Um, and so, I mean, when I started my, I had been an on and off meditator for a long time, but when I said, okay, I really wanna to try to build this more into my daily practice, my rule was I have to meditate before I go to sleep sometime in the day. So, and put I put no time parameters on it, no, you know, what kind of meditation, no time location. And what I found is when I gave myself the freedom to do it that way, I found, oh, you know, like today, and this was especially true when I was writing the book, like today, my mind is just all over the place. I'm going to stop and meditate. And then I saw the actual benefits of meditation up close and personal. And then I started to realize how it was for me, how that tool could be employed instead of it being, you must wake up and meditate for 15 minutes in the morning before you do anything else. And if you didn't do that, you failed in your morning routine and successful people have solid morning routines. And so now you're not successful. I mean, you, you know, the drill, right? Like <laughs> I've, I've seen that movie a few yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And so like, what, what is the benefit of that movie? Right? Like, come on. Actually, you know? I played a starring role in that movie a yes. few times. Yes. But it, and it's so funny how we bring such judgment right away, right? Like such judgment to like, I failed to meditate. I failed to use a tool available to me and therefore equals, I am not ever going to be as successful as I could be. Well, come on. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's really such a great example of, you know, of so many other things and ways that we do speak to ourselves and we set ourselves up to fail, not to, you know, find those pathways to, to joy and, and happiness. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've spoken a lot about the individual and we obviously know that in workplaces, we're, we're just a collection of individuals and individuals who are striving to find joy and happiness in whatever shape or form that takes for them. Um, so we've got, the framework that you shared with us that individuals could be thinking about, but what about the role of organizations in facilitating happier, healthier, highly functioning, um, vibrant people in their organizations? You know, what sort of things can people who have the, the position of, of authority to make decisions to change the architecture of businesses what can they do to help their people achieve what you're advocating? So, you know, I, I came to this work through the lens of sort of executive coaching and leadership work. Um, and I, I think the two most powerful pieces when I coach leaders and they've done the work on themselves and they're asking exactly this question, what can I do to influence the culture around me and my organization? The two biggest pieces that come up, and I'll talk a little bit about both, um, is our authenticity 
and I'll call it authorizing authenticity, meaning allowing people to show up and be honest about who they are and what motivates them and what's important to them and, um, and really honoring that where you can within the framework of the business. And then the other piece is the communication piece, right? Really being willing to bring your curiosity to communications and figure out what um, makes people tick and what people need from a situation in order to be happier. I see so many leaders, again, falling into the natural trap of the shoulds. You know, I like, oh, I read an article and they said this way to reward people for their performance is the way to do it. So I'm going to go do that without having any conversation with the actual people on their team to say what's meaningful to you. And so just asking, showing up as a leader and asking a lot of questions and giving permission both in by showing up yourself authentically, but in, in allowing the conversations for other people to bring forward what it is that is their priority. I was very lucky in the law firm admin job that I worked in that I, I mean, I took that job and said, here's the deal. I'm taking this job, but I'm a mom first. So uh, there are going to be times that I can't take the project or won't be able to stay late or whatever it is. And if you're willing to work with me, I'm willing to give you all of me when I'm here. And they said, yes, but it, but that was, I mean, that is I didn't realize it at the time, but especially in the law firm world, that was a unicorn uh, management position to be able to have that conversation. So it's allowing conversations like that and figuring out how we can meet each other where we are um, that I think can be really powerful. Yeah, and I think especially in the current context that we're in, right, where this tremendous shift happened for many companies to taking their people home and working from their, their home offices, um, it's still unclear how people are going to return to the office, if at all. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think that, that there is this imperative for organizations to be looking at ways that they can help people define what it is that makes them happy and then give them the flexibility to practice that and, and be that within their, their workplace. Um, and, you know, those companies that aren't prepared to do that, I, I feel are going to be losing. They're, they're the ones who are going to see people leaving, moving to other companies. The stats are starting to reveal themselves around just the sheer number of people who are prepared to make a move right now yes. to a different company because of how they were treated during COVID or because of the opportunities they're missing as companies are returning back to the office. That's right. And and just a plug for, for coaching, right? I mean, one of the things that I've been really pleased to see is the number of leaders who are coming to me who are saying, I am super unhappy, but my current organization has expressed a willingness to invest in getting me support in figuring out how to navigate this and figure out what the next right thing is. That's a big deal. That is a big, big, big deal organizationally, that's a big deal for that person. And I think giving people the access to the tools that they need to navigate this weird time. I mean, I sort of have identified it in my own mind as a, a global era of reprioritization. We've had this like absolute, you know, rug pulled out from under us in so many ways that has given a lot of people a reason to look around and say, wait a minute, what am I doing? Is this really how I want to be spending my time and energy? So... Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I've talked a lot about the, we're in the the now of no, now of work, not the future of work. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been a, a, as big a shift in how we work since, you know, the industrial age arrived. 
So this is a significant time for us as a collective of, of people and, you know, organizations make up, you know, a big part of how the economy and society functions, right? So yep. there is a role there that, that organizations need to play with regards to humanizing and, and looking after people that, that they employ. Um, now, I think you can debate whether an organization is responsible for an individual's happiness. I, I think we could have an interesting debate about that. But if we get back to your earlier point about having a choice, like if you were an organization, if you had a choice between having a place where people can come and be happy or not, why wouldn't you pick the come and be happy here part, right? Well, that's right. And I think the other thing that I've seen that's interesting, and this again is just anecdotal with the clients that I've worked with, but I'll, I'm thinking of one client in particular who came and, you know, again, sort of unhappy. And we did this work to say, okay, well, how can we get to a more sustainable right now and use this as a bridge to, you know, or a, a launching point to figure out what's next. And she was real sure she was going to leave her organization and ultimately was able to go to her organization and pitch an innovative idea that allowed it to become sustainable for her and allowed them a business benefit. And so I would just say like, yeah, it's a choice. And why wouldn't you want to be the place that people are happy? But more importantly that than that, from a business perspective, maybe not more importantly, but equally importantly, you're going to get better things out of your people when they're happy. You're going to get the innovation you're craving. You're going to get the results you're craving. You're going to get the contributions you're craving. Um, if you can relieve some of that pressure around happiness and really help them tune into what makes them tick. Because you, I mean, you know it, I know it, I've experienced it myself and I'm sure you've seen it. When you're engaged, when you're in flow, when you're showing up, magic happens. And we should want as organizations to create environments where that can be the way we're working. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is, there's tremendous opportunity to, as you talked about, make small changes. You don't suddenly have to say, okay, here's our happiness strategy and we're changing everything in our organization. Like make small, meaningful changes. Mm -hmm. um, think about ways that you can focus on individuals, understand what their specific requirements are. Like, what are they dealing with in their home lives that, you know, you maybe don't realize is really impacting them negatively? Or, you know, what could you do to help someone have more flexible hours? That that small shift of an hour here or there might actually make all the difference to them and their childcare needs or, you know, their pet care needs or whatever the, the case may be. But I think a lot of times it's sort of people have this, paralysis around not doing anything because they think they can't do everything. That's right. And so I think as organizations and leaders in organizations, we just have to be making intentional small changes that have got that are in the spirit of where we want to be, like what you talked about earlier, right? For individuals yeah. to be thinking about where they want to be, you've got to start putting in those small little um, steps. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful questions you can ask as a leader of people to a person who you are leading is, what do you need from me or from this organization to be successful? And really listening to that answer. Um, because we don't often do that. We make lots of assumptions based on prior experience or what we've read or what we think the collective thinks. But when you have a human being sitting in front of you, even just the asking of that question is a meaningful, meaningful gesture. 
Absolutely. And that is uh, such a powerful way for us to be closing up our conversation here today. Such a lovely, um, delightful, relaxed conversation. And I know that when I continue on in my day here, I have got a new attitude towards my meditation. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And thanks for being here today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care.